In our series, we're taking a look at the significance of who we are and who God is. God is good, not our human version of good, but he is really good. He said to us in two weeks ago, the one place that God describes who he is, that he is long-suffering, merciful, gracious, abounding in love, truth, and he is just. We're called into relationship with God and, and to have a personal relationship by the Holy Spirit to know him. Last week, we took the look, like I said, at who we are and that we're God's creation. We're part of his family. We are his sons and daughters. And we have purpose, and our purpose is knowing God and enjoying him forever. Today, we're going to take it a step further because we're going to look further into the spiritual realm, whom our enemy is. And if we're going to have an effective, successful plan for building our life, this is about building our life on these principles. The concept of God is certain that he is good. A, a correct vision of who we are, that we are built for relationship with God is important. But equally as important is to realize that once we step into becoming a child of God, we are going and have gone to war. As a boy, there would be times when I would lay in bed and ask God, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to hear your voice. And then as I was on my knees, maybe beside my bed, I'd hear a noise in the closet or something and jump up on my bed and pull the covers over. Not now, God. I was afraid. But growing up in church, I've always believed in the spiritual. I, I've been in worship services since I was born. I've been in church. I remember in Sheridan, Michigan, when Dad was preaching and it snowed so much, no one was there but us, Mom. Me, you, Amy, and baby Dan. And dad preached anyway. The preaching and teaching these days, though, unlike Paul Harvey and maybe some in our previous generation, about the spiritual world goes as far as teaching that there is a Holy Spirit and that we need to be born again. Beyond that, maybe there's not much there. And I think that it's important that the church talks about hell, that we talk about the spiritual world. Um, as I get older, started doing some Bible school and learning, I entered into a certain realm of skepticism. I know when no one else ever has done that, right? That the demonic is not relevant today and all of these things. Then I became a pastor, and I soon began to realize that that is true. I was at youth camp one time, and, and we had this, these church services. If you've ever been to youth camp, you know it's all about Holy Spirit and worship. And God grabs young people, pulls them out of their seats, radically transforms them in an environment where there's a 100 other kids worshiping God, pressing in to know Jesus, and volleyball and swimming and all that's secondary. And in that camp, as I was a youth pastor, there was this kid who was outside and he was in a fight with one of the youth pastors and, and he was strong and he was speaking in guttural sounds and, and we prayed and we said, in the name of Jesus, let him go. And he was relieved of the spirit that was bothering him. Just not that many years ago, my associate pastor and I were called to visit a man not that many, I'm getting old, so this has to be more like 15 years ago. 
We were called to the house of a man. He had been visiting the church occasionally, and um, he was living with another man in a homosexual relationship. And we got into the house, and the other man was gone, but this man was there, Dave was there, and we began to pray for him. And then he reached out, jumped out of his chair, and started to strangle my youth pastor. Threw him on the couch and started just heaving and hoeing and these just terrible sounds coming out of his mouth, out of his body. And so I grabbed him. Um, he was not as large man. I was bigger as I am, kind of. And I grabbed him, and, and we prayed, in the name of Jesus, let him go. Now, until then, I had these experiences are very rare. And, but we do need to realize that just because we don't see these things like manifest like they are, who needs them in America when Satan is so blatantly obvious about his forays that it, there's not much need for that because everyone's following his voice. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, Hello, is it working? Am I making it work? Oh, yes, I am. Woo, I got the power. For we walk not in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. Sometimes we get caught up in the flesh and we don't realize that this is a spiritual fight. It's a war that's fought on our knees and in his word. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, in the or heavenly realms, some versions say. We're not just in a war, we are waging war. We are in this fight. We are called to be in this fight. We're, we're in skirmishes all over the place. You are in skirmishes all over the place. Everything that might be happening to you in the flesh, in the world, is actually first decided that that attack would happen in the spiritual realm. Even if it's your own flesh deceiving you. The greatest enemy, don't get me wrong, is not demonic forces um, and, and Satan himself. He is not omnipresent, nor are they. But you yourself and you stay with you all the time. And the flesh is a great deceiver. But we're not talking about that today. We'll, we'll get into that later. But we're not just in a war. We are waging war. And we're fighting this fight. And, and what we see on the outside is only an indicator of the spiritual fight. Paul goes on to use words to describe the leadership and hierarchy here in the spiritual realm. Principalities and powers, authorities. He uses that same word, authorities and powers. And the dominions and thrones. There's there's levels of leadership in the demonic world. Anytime this kind of subject is raised, there are generally a variety of reactions. One is to dismiss the story about demons altogether. You know, first of all, Jesus saved us. He came to give us life. And the enemy is going to fight. Anybody ever had to get red, go through the red tape to get your plans in through the building department? There's always a war, it seems like. 
they get they submit the plans and they need something else and they need a wetland study for this and the perk test done and finally you've got all your lists and then there's some one-eyed flying muskrat that's rare and he has to have some sort of boundary and it has to be drawn by a specialist who knows the one-eyed mongoose flying rat thing and he has to know all about it where it lives and how many of them there are, and if they can freely multiply, if you put the foundation for your 8 by 10 shed there, otherwise you're going to be in a hoop of trouble. And so there's all this red tape. Well, i got to tell you, Jesus broke the red tape barrier. But sometimes if we talk about this kind of thing, when we get into the demonic world, we, so there's a few reactions. And one's to say, well, today the Christians were more civilized. Uh, we make it a myth or not relevant to life and this is kind of primitive stuff, this demonic stuff. Another thing we might do is to reinterpret the stories about demons. Yeah, it is an old story, probably some sort of psychological impact that the people had, a mental health issue in the day, um, sort of this very naturalistic approach, maybe something in their diet made them see weird things. Another thing that might happen is we accept these stories as they really happen, but it's not for today. Like it happened a long time ago in the first century and we've outsmarted the demons, we've outsmarted Satan and we're a lot more advanced today. After all, we've got Elon Musk now. Another thing is others may over-rationalize the talk about the spiritual realm because our only education from demons comes from movies or music and our minds are, may go back to the... Uh, roll back to the 70s and early 80s with images of the exorcist or dolls that spin their heads around and, you know, cars like Christine that kill people because they're demon-possessed cars, you know. And some react with the reasoning that if we bring attention to it, that we give ourselves an unbalanced approach in our spirituality and turn faith in God into some sort of circus. And I've seen the circus. I've been raised in a Pentecostal church I've seen some of the circus, and it's there. But on the other hand, there are those who would, as, as they want to sensationalize it and have an unhealthy appetite for demons, and there's a demon in everything. There's a demon in this. There's a, and there's people that climb uh, ice caves to find a certain demon so they can cast them out. And we had this demon that was living over here on Gravelly Lake. Remember Linda Evans and the whole Ramtha thing? Finally, I think it moved out to Graham. Now they have a whole campus out there. When you think of spiritual warfare, what do you think of? I think many think that it's a specialized form of ministry, you know, exorcisms and a priest, waving a cross and burning incense. and Or the super evangelist guru guy, right? It's one on TV that does all this stuff, right? We expect certain antics or hocus-pocus things, some sort of performance or demonstration. But friends, we're followers of Jesus. And in this world, there are very real spiritual enemies. Some ask why we don't see the demonic today, and I think um, we do, but we're, we live here, so we're very familiar with the demons here. We've grown accustomed to them. The human race has, has demons that influence violence and murder, abortion, drug addiction, uh, bitterness, poverty, uh, complacency, duplicity, betrayal, and brokenness. I would say all of that's pretty bad stuff. And how do you quantify all the evil in the world if not for the devil and demons and the demonic world and wickedness and evil? There's nothing new. 
that, that in fact, this, this new way that people or young people are going where they don't know what gender they are, I want you to realize something in choosing because now there's so many things you can have. There's not just male and female, of course, being taught it. The, the children, children can, I mean, in Canada, they, if the parent wants to stop them from getting the, the treatments, the hormone treatments, the, the parents are in trouble. And they, 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 they'll put the kids through it anyway. I mean, isn't that disgusting? That's demonic, friends. That's wrong. And, and to say this is just to go against the design of God because God made us male and female, and the thing that the enemy wants to do is destroy that. What does the Bible say about angels slash demons that were cast from heaven, a third of the angelic host? The demons that influence the world are neither male nor female. They're transsexual. And what do the enemy, what does the enemy want? He wants to be worshipped. He wants people like him. So the devil is going after the young people. He's going after this generation saying, hey, be like us. The influence of the demonic is, is nothing new. This, was, this happened way, this has been happening forever. And the Greek culture to abuse boys, a man-boy relationship, was considered the most purest kind of love. And the Romans, Romans in Athens and in Corinth, both. I mean, the, the prostitution and... And it, it was in the streets. It was everywhere. Back in um, Ahab and Jezebel's day, Baals and Asherah pole worshipers, right? So Baal is the, the male figure god, very complacent in the ritualistic things that would happen in Baal worship was that they would bring their infants that they didn't want, and the priest would sacrifice them. They would play loud music, People would dance while the screaming was going on so they couldn't hear it and celebrate and have uh, transsexual, transsexual cross orgies. The uh, opposite of that, the, the, or the counterpart, the Asherah pole, which the uh, Asherah poles became in the, the pantheon, the goddess Artemis, the, the Greek god, um, what's that Greek? Um, you know, um, starts with Aphrodite. That is the Greek name for Asherah. So we have this connection that brings this same sickness of this, of this uh, female um, portrayal that was, was evident in, in Jezebel. And so when we look at these things, we've got to realize there's nothing new. And there's so much more there we could talk about. But just to say there's nothing new. Everything that's been done today has been done through generations. We think America is bad. I tell you, just take a look back at some of the things that were happening uh, with the Greeks back. In, it, was, it was not good. It was in the open, in the streets. We're getting there. The next thing is having multiple partners in a marriage. Marriage is Christian. Marriage is biblical. So people that are not Christian don't really, marriage is not really a thing. I said, whatever. Let's not get there. So I'm, I'm chasing rabbits now. I think there's some myths we have to debunk it. We have an image in the spiritual realm as well from maybe the Sistine Chapel and baby, fat baby angels flying with little bows and arrows uh, with wings, sitting on clouds playing miniature golden harps or whatever that it is, totally non-biblical, and has, left, uh, has led to a belief that uh, the spiritual things that in, in the Bible, that, that little babies, when they, if babies die, they turn into angels. I'm sure you've heard that before. Oh, she got her wings. And although it's sad if people die and they die young, friends, that's not biblical. Um, 
spiritual beings in Scripture are called watchers. They're called angels. They're called the holy ones, the hosts of heaven, the sons of God, divine assembly, the, the, the gods with a little g, the morning stars, the glorious ones, cherubim, seraphim, the armies of heaven. Angels are mentioned nearly 300 times in the Bible. And uh, in, in, in the only books that they're not mentioned is Ruth, Nehemiah, Esther, the letters of John and James. Notice here something that, that there are more spirit beings that God uh, has created than just angels. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that God stopped creating them at all. Who knows, he could have continued with that creation process. We know that the creation of this here on earth was finished at one point, but uh, he stopped creating, He never stopped creating them. There are groups and individuals in heaven that have roles and purposes. We find what's called the sons of God rejoicing and celebrating in heaven. We, we see an entirely heavenly host worshiping. We learn about the leadership structure of the 24 elders called and, and the sons of God. Um, there are references to the morning stars that we said, I said earlier have a purpose in worship, that they worship God. We find um, angels being given specific tasks and duties. We, there is cherubim assigned to guard the uh, entrance to Eden with a flaming sword. They were uh, mighty-looking angels, um, the son of God, the sons of God, I should say, um, the assembly to fellowship with God. There's really no, no, no knowing how many there are in, in God's spirit family but we certainly know that Scripture says they are innumerable. In fact, the angels number in the 10,000 times 10,000s. They're different from human beings because they don't have a human gender, a human body, or human limitations like we do. Now, we know they do appear in human bodies, and, and, and much like a soldier might go into a covert situation in disguise, we're told that we entertain angels unawares in this world. In the spiritual realm, we know that God has a leadership team called His divine council, and we find them referred to as the assembly of the holy ones, the, the council of the holy, the seat of the gods, little g, the mount of the assembly, the, the court and judgment in the heavenly host. These terms are used to describe them. The Bible tells us that, that God convenes His divine council when sitting on His throne. Isaiah, Daniel, and John all give us this imagery. Look at what some of the Bible says. Luke eleven twenty one. 21, the strong man, Satan, is fully armed. The spiritual realm, stronger one, comes, Jesus. The conqueror, in verse 22, the, the strong man conquers him, takes his armor. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus comes to bring a sword. Luke 4, 18, Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives, spiritually captive in the spiritual realm. Mark 5, 9 and verse 15 says, the demonized man had a legion of spirits. Colossians 2, 15, Jesus led evil powers triumphal, in this triumphal procession, it says he took captives uh, out. He took them out of that place of captivity. Colossians 1, 2, 1, 1 Timothy 4, 10. The Bible says that Christian life is a struggle. It is a struggle. It is a war. It is a fight. The Christian life is a struggle, and it says against evil and evil forces. And in Ephesians 6.12, as we read earlier, Hebrews 12.4 says the Christian life is a struggle against sin. The unseen, 1 Peter 2.11 says the desires of the flesh wage war against the soul. Jude 3, Christians are called to struggle 
for the faith. Do you, are you catching this? We're in this war. Philippians 1.30, Paul struggled to, for the gospel. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul fought the good fight. Philippians 2.5, Philemon 2, 2 Timothy 2.3, Christians are called to be soldiers. We are given this commission as soldiers. Why? Because we're in a war. We're in a fight. We're in a spiritual war. Friends, never think that the habits you find yourself encompassed with, the things you find yourself bound to, the obstacles you run yourself into are not just in the flesh. All of them are birthed and born by the, the work of your enemy who wants to devour your soul. 1 Timothy 1.18 and 2 Corinthians 10, Christians, we engage, as Paul writes, in this warfare. War. Romans 6.13, 13.12, and 2 Corinthians 6, Christians wield weapons of warfare. They're weapons of warfare. Revelation 12.7, there's an angelic war in heaven. Revelation 19.19, the beasts and the kings of the earth will make war. Revelation 28, Satan gathers the nations for the final battle. So there was war in heaven. Make no mistake, we are in a war. And the reason that we're here today and the reason that, that you understand that we are in a war and that I understand it, it's, it's not a physical war. It's one that we are simply uh, trying uh, to act to in right now. It is, a, it is a spiritual fight. And put new disciplines on ourselves to try to create habits that, that make things different or go on a diet or something to change our physical, to have a fuller life. Those things aren't bad. And we should do those things, right? But, they, but the, spirit, the fight that we're in is a spiritual one. Revelation 20, uh, 12, verse 7 talks about the war in heaven. It says, there arose war in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. The book of Revelation gives us tremendous insight into this great war. And, and I, I say this war in heaven happened because it did past tense happen. It's, it is a war that was done. In Revelation, we find two areas that are parenthetical, whereas the whole book is, is chronological. But there's two long parenthetical portions, and, and the rest of the book, is in order, but um, this is one of those areas where John is describing and he's getting a revelation about what is to come, and, and then a change happens in heaven to show that uh, what has happened, and why is that? Why does he refer back to history? Because it gives us and it gives John a backstory to support what's going on in that moment. So he says, hold on, in the middle of all this, remember Satan how he was thrown down. Remember that old serpent? So there was a war in heaven. And Scripture points out that one-third of the angelic beings with Lucifer rebelled in a war against God. There was a war. And I quote war because it uses the word war, not a skirmish, not some sort of little uh, God kicks Satan. In fact, God's not involved in this war at all. It's just two-thirds of the angelic host led by two leaders and one leader led by his regiment. And so extremely one-third are given example of these spirit beings. And in the Bible, we're given three names of these angelic beings. 
And these leaders, interestingly enough, have this leadership power in heaven. And uh, one is Gabriel, one is Michael, and one is Lucifer. And so there's three, and two-thirds of heaven is fighting against one-third. They're only following the commission of their commanding officer. It's a perfect connection with how earthly leadership is set up. In fact, earthly leadership is patterned after this in the Bible. We know that God establishes leadership within his government in heaven, uh, different things that serve him in different capacities, and it would be a generalization, if not insignificant, to say that each of these, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, are given charge of their prospective regiments. Now, I draw these conclusions based from the, the things that we read here, because it says a third of the angelic host, and there's two other ones that are noted in these positions. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah, talking about the reason that Satan uh, fell, Lucifer fell, it says, you said in your heart, when speaking about Satan, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne, he notes the throne, this is important, on high. I will sit in the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So we know Satan leads this uprising among the angels in Gabriel, Michael's arsenals, and Gabriel and Michael, not God himself. They fight in this war, an insurrection, if you will, of sorts. Scripture calls it war. So those under Lucifer are cast out with him. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day of O day star, son of the dawn, how you are cut down to the ground. And then Jesus, again, Luke 10, 18, and he said to him, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was there. He saw it happen. And so what does he tell us? He says, I saw this happen. And so there are follow, there, are, there he are, is, Satan, and his followers, and they're thrown down where? To earth. The rebellion is cast to earth, but the war continued, and it continues to this day. We are born into war. Not only are we born into this war, we're born on the wrong side of the war. We're born into sin. Adam was a representation of all mankind, the Bible tells us, and he was created in God's image to bear God's imprint on all humanity. We are Adam. He was created out of perfection. He was given a choice to pick what side of the war he would be on. In fact, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through man, the first Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 1 Corinthians 15 expounds that all in Adam die. We are Adam's race. Friends, the war in heaven didn't stop. It just changed locations. Pride is still the centerpiece of wickedness and evil in this world. Pride is the sin that Eve herself fell to initially, Adam and Eve. When, and basically Satan said, hey, you know, God's keeping something from you. God's keeping something from you. Born, being born into war, you don't realize you're in a war. Um, it wasn't that long ago, Ray, we had one of Ray's friends' funeral. And his mother 
was born in Nazi Germany. And she will tell you, she told me, as I was interviewing her for the funeral memorial, she said, I was a Nazi. I didn't know any better. She was a young person. She grew up in being trained in Nazism, and she didn't realize, she didn't, I didn't know it was bad, she said, because we were all young people, and they were being brainwashed at school. In North Korea today, the children are given booklets to sing praises and worship to Kim Jong-un. They sing his praises, and they, they, they learn these chants and, and, and terrible things about everybody else. And they're learning the praises of communism. They are learning, um, they are being taught that these things are good. And to break out of that, if you've been raised in church, you just don't know. Friends, this is the war. This is the thing. Comfort is the greatest God of our age where we're comfortable and we're used to the, the wickedness, we're used to the spiritual realm that's all around us. When, we are, when we've gone on missions trips, I've noticed this. When we go on missions trips, the teams that go, we always go to a, a different country, not always, but when we go to another country, we, we go and we experience dreams and, and different sensations. It's because I believe, as we've pointed out here, that the principalities of powers, that there are different spiritual undertones and demonic leadership in different areas that have captivated the people in different ways. And in America, we have our demons that have captivated America. The point is that, like the Nazi girl or the children of North Korea are born into a battle, captives of war, they are brainwashed. And mankind all over the world is brainwashed. We're born into a war. And mankind has chosen a side. And I think we've got to understand that God has won his war, but man has lost his. Whose fault is it? Is it Lucifer? The woman? Adam? All yes. The battle waged in the spirit was over the minute we were born. We are born with a dead spirit, the Bible says, defeated as image bearers of God. Our spirit has to be made alive in Christ Jesus, as Paul writes. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit awakens our spirit, and we're alive in Christ. We've been indoctrinated by sin, and we, we know it. We're in this war, and you and I know that we're in a war. We know that Christians cannot be demon-possessed, but we are demonically influenced. And His power, the work of the, the enemy is all around us, and the Spirit of God and we know cannot share the same space with a born-again Christian. I do not believe, I've had Christians tell me in the past, Pastor, I believe, he's a believer, but I believe he's demon-possessed. I don't believe that at all. i tell you what, I was in Mexico one time in the South San Quentin Valley in this little place, and we had the church service that night, and this lady took us across town in the middle of the dark uh, to pray for her son. And it was a little sketchy, i got to be honest. And I mean, some of those places are pretty dark. And so we followed her in our church van, and here we have, you know, 12 kids in my van. And we go to this place, and me and the pastor's wife, she went with us, walk into this house, and the, the music is just blaring, thumping, thumping. We walk in, there's not a light on in the place. She lights a candle. And we go through the dining room and to the living room, and, and she opened his door, and he's just sitting there without his shirt on, just just this rebellious look, just like, I am defiant against everything and everyone. 
And we walked in there, and we just started singing, and we couldn't hardly hear ourselves sing. She turned the music off, and he just sat there silent. Every place has their own influence. Every place has their own strongholds. But pride is the same everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. If you understand the struggle, you're human. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, these three things, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, one version says, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you struggle with desires in your flesh? Drunkenness, sexual impurity, drugs? Do you lie to satisfy your flesh? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. Do you surrender to the desire of your eyes? Do you covet things you don't have? Even peace and contentment and joy of others. Do you look with your eyes at pornography? Are you envious of others? Pinch yourself. You're part of the human race. The pride of life. Do you enjoy your stuff more than God's presence in this world? Do you sacrifice nearly everything you have to get what you want, no matter the cost? If you identify with any of these three things, if they have troubled you, if you've been tempted by them, you're in the spiritual war. You are in a fight. You, my friends, you and I are in a fight for our children and our grandchildren. We're in a fight for our lost spouses. We're in a fight. We're in a war for our own souls. We're in a fight for freedom from the addictions that Satan would wish to bind us with. And this is part of the design of God's plan to realize that, yes, we're in the war, but Jesus has won our war. If any of these things are true, then you know you're in the fight. Satan works in the counterfeit. A while back, I I read this list, but it's so true. Because God creates, but Satan counterfeits. God creates angels. Satan counterfeits demons. God creates obedience. Satan counterfeits with rebellion. God creates truth. Satan counterfeits with lies. God creates spirit-filled people. Satan counterfeits with demon-possessed people. God creates cleansing. Satan Uh, uh, counterfeits with defilement, humility, pride, forgiveness, bitterness, worship, idolatry. God gives us contentment. Satan counterfeits with coveting. God gives us peace. Satan counterfeits with fear. God gives us unity. Satan counterfeits with division. God gives us shepherds. Satan counterfeits by sending the the world wolves. God gives us God esteem. Well, Satan wants to lower us and to give us just self-esteem. God gives us the spirit. Satan counterfeits with the flesh. God gives us freedom. Satan counterfeits with slavery. God gives us a revival. Satan counterfeits with riots. God gives us life. Satan counterfeits with death. God gives us the church. Satan counterfeits with the world. God gives us the kingdom of eternity forever in his presence. And the Satan counterfeits with hell and eternity in his presence. The very reason that we're meeting here today is because you and I are in a front to that battle. We want to be in that war. We don't want to sit on the, we want to go to the gates of hell with our candle. 
We don't want to sit in the back. We don't want to run away from the enemy. Friends, you and I need to be on the advance, not just taking what comes. See, that's the God of comfort that we live in in our age. Man, I've got to hurry. Jesus won our war. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy. You catch that? The reason Jesus came was to destroy the work of the enemy. We're called by God to join his work in this world. And your creator made you with a mission that cannot fail. It just cannot fail. Friends, your freedom today and my freedom from depression, anxiety, hopelessness, addiction, temptations are won by Jesus. He is the victor. And the cross is a radical thing. It is a radical thing. Those who believe in Jesus are radical. God has given us the keys to realizing that we have this spiritual authority in this fight. <laughs> you may not have much authority in this physical world. But your authority is given to you by the one in heaven in this fight. Just think about the little 120-pound lady police officer that stands in the middle of the freeway and holds up her hand to a 500-horsepower, 1,850-foot-pound-of-torque semi. He'll stop because she has authority from the state of Washington. Or maybe he's got good sense. He doesn't want to run her over, but you know what I'm saying. Her authority is more power than his. I think as believers, we've got to do some things. We've got to realize that as a believer, you have defected. When you became a believer, you defected from the ways of this world. Hear me with this. When we say, yeah, I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm not going that way anymore. I'm running away from the enemy's camp. Secondly, we need to understand that demonic attack is not uncommon. You and I are going to face these things. It's going to be because we live in this world. Thirdly, we need to embrace the fact that you and I come with God's authority. And fourth, the trust is promised that the enemy has to surrender. When Pam and I were in Winston, we had this experience in our um, apartment. And we're laying in bed, and we had just been in this terrible, like, spiritual fight with these young people that lived in this little logging community and wasn't a lot to do there and we didn't know later but there was a lot of like um you know weird demonic spiritual satanic worship stuff going on all around in these little areas i mean then the boondocks we're right boondocks and a uh, meth capital places you know meth places going on all and so we're laying there and we said god what is the deal with these young people they seem like they're so uh, you know, young people are like that anyway, but these were extra, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh. It's like there was this blinder on. And we're laying there, and we just felt like this evilness in our bedroom. And we're just laying there, and we just held hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. The power of the enemy is real, but it's not too powerful. You know, the Bible says Satan has a, sounds like a roar. He can roar, but he's this, this little kitten, really. 
to the believer. If Satan knows he's defeated, why is he still fighting? This is the question of questions. Number one, pride. Isaiah 14, 13, again, you said in your heart, I'm going to be you, God. Get this imagery. Give me a couple extra minutes this morning. The imagery here is Lucifer, Satan, an element of leadership in worship in heaven. Can you imagine that worship in heaven? And we're given glimpses of this worship. I can hear heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. I've been in an arena at a Promise Keepers or a men's conference, and we're getting ready to go to the Awaken Conference. And in that room filled with all those people, and you begin to worship God. And at some points when they turn up, they quit playing the music, and it's just the voices of all those people lifting their voice. You're like, oh, Jesus, take me home now. There is something about the presence of God with other people. It, although God meets with us no matter where we are, amen? It, the Bible, I've heard Christians use for years, where two or more are gathered. I don't know, what's that more? Because there's two or more, it's more powerful? No. That scripture is not for that reason. You know that scripture means that's for church discipline. If two of you agree that this, there's a problem with this person, then in heaven I'm agreeing with you for the correction you need to give to them. It doesn't mean your, your prayer is extra powerful. It doesn't mean that. I know we've been taught that in church our whole life, but we should read the Bible. Maybe we'd, we would know. Um, because God is with you even when you're by yourself. Amen? He's always with you. But I can imagine the heaven, heaven singing and worshiping. In this worship, that Lucifer is a big part of the instrumentation. In fact, one time I, I went through his, um, all the things, the elements of his worship and the articles of it, the actual instruments that are given. And they're the three instruments that we have, chords, percussion, air. They're all three are the same categories that we have in this world today. And they're all in our bodies, all three of them. Satan is given charge of worship. Can you imagine that sound? Can you imagine that place of elevation? That throne of God where God is adored and worshipped? It's intoxicating. I've been on stages <coughs> playing an instrument for competition or, or in a game or in a, in a game or something. I, I played my horn or sang a song. And, and I know what that's like being in a, in a stadium with people and, and getting an accolade. It, it's pretty nice. It feels good. So Satan's getting this, and he's getting this from creation. God has created everything, and he's, he's created this angelic host, and Satan is in charge of us. Can you imagine the, the taste he's getting in his mouth for that position? And so pride has consumed him. I'm going to set my throne, he says, above God's. I want more. I'm going to become like him. He, he comes to this place, I'm going to sit on God's throne. Satan's role before the fall, his desire for God's glory consumes him. The other thing is God's image. Remember the reason that Satan is fighting is because the blood of Jesus was shed so that humanity could win our war. God did not shed his blood for the angels. 
He didn't die for demonic spirits. He didn't, he didn't die for the counsel of God, the, the seraphim. He didn't die for the cherubim. He didn't die for the, the, son, the uh, council, the 24 elders. He died for humanity. You and I have a song that the angels can't sing. We have a, a victory that the angelic hosts and all of its elements cannot echo. The image of God, we're created in God's image, and it, it's important to realize that salvation is for sinful people. There is no possibility for salvation of sinful angels. Uh, Satan has no option to fight, but to fight. That's his only option. He has to fight, and he fights to destroy the beings that God created in his image as his family. Satan didn't create sin. He fell to pride himself. Pride is the enemy of all creation. Proverbs 13.10, pride precedes a quarrel, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit among the oppressed than to share the plunder of the proud. He knows that if he can stop the church, thirdly, why is he still fighting? He knows that if he can stop the church from spiritual warfare, he's won. If he can get you to lay down your arms and just succumb to that temptation, whatever that it is, he is one. He can wipe out the church's spiritual fervor in worship. He has won because worship silences the mouth of the accuser. If he can stop you from singing, he's won. If he can stop you from rejoicing, he's won. If he can stop you from clapping your hands, he has won. I don't care if our congregation has 20 people in it, we're still going to stand and we're still going to worship God. We're made with an erect posture. We're made with arms that can lift up and a head that can glorify God. We are made to give him glory and honor and praise that's due his name. If you got hired for any job and you had to stand there or you had to lift your hands, you would do it because you were paid. I wonder how many of us would be fired because we weren't doing worship the way maybe God would want us to. Satan has, if he can wipe out God's image in the church, he's won. If he can stop you from fighting, he's won. If he can stop you from praying, he's won. If he can stop you from learning God's word, he's won. If he can stop you from worshiping, he's won. And the, the rapture is a secret because he wants to catch Satan by surprise. Almost everyone and everything else is revealed for those who want to do their homework except the rapture. Finally, the reason that Satan keeps fighting is because he knows the clock is ticking. Romans 11.25 says, Until the full number of Gentiles comes in, there's a counter in heaven. There's a clicker. And God has not a time although he knows the time and season, he has a number. He knows what's going to happen. He foreknew. He, 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 he understands every decision that's made or has been made. Time is done for him. It is just a thing. And there's a clicker in heaven. And that clicker, I think he's got one of uh, the, maybe a lackey angel doing this job, right? I don't know. But the, the lackey angel, has, I don't think there's any lackey angel. I just, I don't know, you know. There's definitely hierarchy. And this guy's at the bottom of the totem pole, but he's good with accounting. And he has this clicker. And every time someone comes to Jesus, there's a readout on the clicker. And, and, and how many come to Christ? Every time someone comes to Christ uh, and the timer on this, the, the, the bomb is ready to go off. And so the clicker keeps clicking. And he knows 
This morning, if you've been waiting to make your full commitment to Jesus, you could be holding us all up. You know that? It's your fault. You know, Revelation 12.10 gives us this scene of the accuser in the courtroom. And I guess if you can envision this, on one side there's the accuser, and the other side there's you, and your defense is Jesus. And the accuser's going to stand up and he's going to read every bad thing you've ever done. He's going he's to say, you, you failed at this and that. You're, you're no good for nothing. And he's over there and he's just accusing you. He's going to town. He's every private thing you thought was hidden. Everything you did in secret. Every email you wish you would never just have clicked send on. Every foul thought that you've ever had. Every thing you've ever failed at. Every sin you've committed. Every lust you've ever lusted. Every, he is just, and I can tell you what, you're standing over there, but you have this, you and I have this confidence, right? That our lawyer gets up and says, wait, I've covered it. I've taken their shame. I'm the one who's going to pay the price. In fact, I already have. Done. Um, we're going to pray about this. Pam, would you come? In the scripture in Romans chapter 8, it's a great scripture to know, to memorize, to have, but I want to back up verse 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, what? God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he knows. He knows the choices you're going to make. I believe that he foreknew. He didn't pre-plan you to fail, but he knew the choice you would make. You had a choice. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it then who condemns? No one. In other words, the lawyer has to just say one thing and there's no more accusation. Christ Jesus died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day we're considered like sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Stand with me, would you? I am so grateful for the love of God that goes beyond what I've done. I'm so grateful for the love of God that went beyond what you have done and that the war has been won by Jesus and friends I want to take a moment this morning to pray for you Lord knows I need it too for the wars that you're fighting right now the battle that you're fighting right now for the things the enemy is throwing in your face for the things your flesh is trying what are you fighting realize that Jesus has won your war and can you ask with me that his Holy Spirit would give us his peace and to realize that victory hallelujah that it is won Jesus Lord we come before you today and we thank you that you are the victor you are the one who took our place that there is not one thing in this world as we just read from your word that is able to separate us from your love I pray this morning for the guilt and the shame that your people suffer unduly because the enemy is accusing them Lord I pray today that we would realize no matter how far or the failure or how great that you have won this war and in Jesus' name, I pray that that sense of freedom would come right now. Friends, would you just pour your heart out? Whatever that may be there, whatever war you may be fighting, whatever battle that may be instigated right now, Jesus, I come before you with this war. I come before you with this pride. I come before you with this lost loved one. I come before you with this lust. I come before you with the war, the, the constant temptation that's been harassing me. I, I come before you with this war that I'm in. The, the words that are being said to me are death, they're not life. I, I'm coming to you, Lord, with this war right now that I'm facing in my family where there's risk of division. I'm coming to you, Lord, with this war right now for the battle for my children. I'm coming to you, Lord, right now with this war that's at my foot right now, tempting me to do something that I know I should not. God, I'm coming to you right now with this war for my addiction that I cannot see to break in the Lord in Jesus name because you are the life giver because you are the freedom giver that you would shine right through me Lord by the power and the presence of your spirit and bring your freedom into that captive place bring your freedom into that broken place bring your freedom oh God and your joy and your liberty into that place that seems so hurt and hardly functioning God I pray for your freedom Lord God we ask for your freedom we ask God for your touch today and we receive it in the name of Jesus, the one who lives forever, the God who died, the God who loves, the God who is freedom and victoriously rose from the grave, Lord. Lord, these are our hope. This is our belief. This is our confirmation by your spirit. We are not alone with this, Lord. Shh.